Ecclesiastes chapter 6. I'm going to pick up at verse 12. Even though I have already started in chapter 7, now we go back and pick up in verse 12, and then we're going to skip down to verse 13 and 7. But right now, Ecclesiastes 6, 12, and this is what it says. And if you don't have it right there, you can follow us on the board. It says, for who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Verse 13 of chapter 7. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes, even, excuse, perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. A passage that I did not actually give, Anisha, I'm going to go ahead and read it. I wasn't going to, but I'm going to read it. In Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 38. Lamentations, I'm just going to read it. You can just, don't have to worry about trying to find it right now. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 38. And this is what it says. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Again, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad? Bad come. As a title for this message today, it is Avoiding Self-Righteousness and Wickedness. Avoiding Self-Righteousness and Wickedness. In man's quest to be his own boss and the ruler of his own destiny, mankind has made a fundamental error. They have convinced themselves that there is no God and no one has to answer to him at the end of this life. Again, in man's quest to be his own boss and the ruler of his own destiny, mankind has made a fundamental error. They have convinced themselves, first, that there is no God and no one to answer to at the end of this life. People some how feel that they can do what they want, live how they want, and then just leave here without having to give account. So mankind has wrapped himself in the cloak of his own self-righteousness and have therefore followed the path of wickedness. We come to earth backwards. You come here demanding your own way. How do I know? Because when you came here and the doctor in the old days turned you upside down and swatted you on your behind, 
you started screaming. And then you started screaming when you wanted to be fed. You started screaming when you wanted the diaper to be changed. You started screaming when you wanted to be picked up. You wanted your way. Mothers and fathers know the cry of their child. They know what a hungry cry means. They know what a hurt cry means. They can pick out, as I told you before, the cry of their child when there's a hundred kids around. Oh, that's my baby. What's, what's, what's wrong? God has blessed us in such a mighty way that at the end of time, he's going to be calling back, calling us back to give an account of what we've done in this life. And yet, man somehow feels that they can evict God and be okay. Man is chosen in his, in his nature to not follow God and to rather pursue his own reality of what life is like and what life is. God has been excluded and the blanks of life have been filled in by far too many with wrong information. If you start without God, you already start with wrong information. Go ahead and try to live life if you want to. Exclude God and you'll find yourself fighting against the wind, fighting against your own self. God never made you to be in this life, in this world, without him. He knows you from the beginning. He knows your very nature, for he's the one that created you. Point one, consider the work of God first. Consider the work of God first. That would be Ecclesiastes 6.12, and then verses, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. A few weeks ago, I was dealing with chapter 6, and we, we ended with a question that had been raised by Solomon. Solomon transitions after the first six chapters, and when he gets to chapter 7, he turns a corner. But he, he, he left us with a couple of questions at the end of chapter 6. And he then answers those questions, not in the first eight or nine or ten verses of chapter 7, but once you get down to verses 13 and 14, you find him. Answering the questions. What, what are the questions that, again, that he raised in chapter 12, 6, verse 12? He says, for who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? The first matter that Solomon says is that you need to first consider the work of God. It is a wise person, that's a person that will pause and consider what God has done. You cannot honestly consider the work of God and at the same time deny him. If you want to know what God is like and who God is, you need to stop, he says, and consider. You, you need to stop and take a hard look at something. You need to stop and give your full attention to the details of this matter. Solomon says you need to stop and consider the work of God. You may know a lot about him and the fact of his creation, but God is found in the pages of Scripture. You've oftentimes heard it said, you want to hide something from somebody? Put it in the Bible. They ain't going to find it. Where, where, where's that money she hid? Put it right there in the Bible and open it up. It's safe right there. We find that Koholith, Koholith, 
the teacher, the preacher says that you need to stop and consider. There are too many people today that have failed to stop and consider how blessed we really are. My goodness, I go up and down the freeway every day, walk in and out. I was just telling my wife just the other day, just yesterday, I woke up and my, my, my leg was hurting. Trying to figure what was happening as the day went on, it kept getting, it started hurting more and more. I'm stretching and doing different things. I used to be in karate, y'all. Y'all know that, right? I can't do, I used to kick and mow me and Derek, boy. Be going to L.A. and spark. Oh, my goodness. We had a good time. But I can't do all that. I try, I'd be thinking I can, but I've gotten older. And I'm trying to think, what is happening? Got up to bed, stretching and all, and, and lo and behold, late last night, or yesterday, late, late sometime, it came to me. I know what happened. The Lord gave me a revelation. You know how you remember saying your mind go, bing. I was out in Bolinas at a school. I normally go there on Friday to work with the student, and uh, I'm out there with the kids, and and, and the shoes that I had, I hadn't worn in a long time. They were fine, but I had some pretty heavy boots on that day. And I took off running fast. I, mean, I thought it was fast. It might not have been too fast. And cutting and running and everything. And, and I'm thinking, what has happened? And my mind went back. You were running with some weights on your feet. And my mind went, oh, that. That's what happened. Because even when I do a long walk, I have to stretch after it. I didn't stretch. I didn't know. And I realized that was my problem. What did I have to do? I had to stop and consider what was going on with my body. And once I was able to stop and think the Lord gave me the revelation, I said, I now know what to do. I need to call the person who works on my body to see if he can help me. But he was busy. So I had to try to help myself. And I feel a little bit better today. But I recognize something. I have to stretch after I do a walk. After a long walk, I got to stretch. I can't be doing no six and seven mile walk and just go sit down. I can't get back up after that. So I have come to discover and I've considered that when I am in trouble, I have to stretch. I've got to do something. Solomon said that we need to stop and consider what God has done. It is a wise person that's willing to stop and consider what is God doing? What is the meaning of this life that we have? And what happens when a person leaves? Solomon says that the first thing that one needs to do is stop and consider the work that God does. Recognize that God made a marvelous body. I've got to take care of it. I used to be up and get up and run and just not do anything, but now I've got to get up and rub myself a little bit as I get out to bed in the morning. Stand up and stretch a little bit. Walk, and then got to be sure to stretch when I get back home. Before in the days, I didn't have to worry about that. I got to consider. You need to stop and consider, what is God doing in your life today? There are too many people that's running past all of the stop signs and not considering how good, and what, how good God's been and what he's doing. There needs to be a pause in our life to consider the work of God. To come away with any thought that is less 
than being awestruck at God's awesomeness, how he made this world, all of his glory and power. To come away with that and not be awestruck, it is not giving God his due, his due honor and due reward. God is marvelous. To consider the work of God has to involve, one, a true evaluation of our limitedness and God's unlimited power. When you start to consider, you have the glimpse of being able to see what you are really like. It was Isaiah in the chapter, I believe it was chapter 6, where he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. You know the angels are seen, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He had a new revelation. You've got to consider, who is this God that we serve? So so you've got to stop and you've got to consider that you are limited. He said that I'm a man that's unclean. I have unclean lips. When you stand in the presence of God, you can see how small you really are and how great God is. That's what considering the work of God will do. It will give you a proper evaluation and perspective of who God is. True evaluation will have you admit and understand that you really don't understand everything. You cannot comprehend everything. The fact that Solomon, being the wisest man, he had to concede and say, I can't explain all of these things. We talked about in the first six chapters how he said life is vain. Now, how we understand vain is not the same way that he does. He is saying that in this complex life, we have frustrations. and We have perplexing situations. He says in this vain life, things that are hard to understand. That's what he's talking about. There are things I just do not get. But I've come to realize that there's someone who does, and that's God. In answering the question that he raised, he starts with the premise that you have to consider. Now, in part B of that verse, he brings up a statement that says that when we look at it, let's take a look at the next part of that. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? When you have a proper understanding of God... You will understand that, that that word crooked does not mean in the sense of what, how we think of it, like a stick that's bent or a, the way it, it looks, it reads, it's looking at that which has been bent or that which is out of place or that which would seem to be a problem. God is the one who oversees it. He's the one that brings it into focus. God is the one that can change and make your life what it is through adversity. When you stop to consider the crooked things in life, the hard things, it is talking about those things that are adverse in your life, those things that are difficult. God has not only put in the good things, but he's also put in problems. It is his design, and that's how he made it. The design of God is so fascinating that Job even questioned God. He's the one that even said, Lord, why is this happening to me? I've done the will of, I've done your will. But, but Job, the Bible says, never sinned against God. But he had questions. And yet, here's a man that was seen to be innocent, went through all types of trouble, all types of problems. 
The Lord said even to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. Satan had the nerve to say the only reason he serves you is because you put some protection around him. You put a hedge around him. Move it and he'll curse you to your face. Let me have him. God says, go ahead. But don't touch his soul. There's something that God allows into your life. And you say, why is this happening? God seems to be silent. Doesn't tell you. But oh, you need to consider that God is the one that orchestrates it all. Gets the glory. And even though it may be difficult, God has a purpose in his plan. His divine plan. In verses 14, as I move through here because my time is, is running here, in the day of prosperity, he says, you need to be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. That's the input that we read. We just mentioned that. We talked about being crooked. God is the one in control of those things in life. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. I try to avoid trouble. I try to avoid difficult things. If I see a line coming down the street, I'm not going to try to walk past him and say, what's up? (laughs) I'm going to look for a place to run, to hide, to move out of the way. But if I find myself in the midst of trouble, not by any fault of my own, I'm going to say, God, I need your help. I need help to get out of this. I don't know what the plan is or to help me to get through this. There are some things that God orchestrates in your life in order to not bring you, not only to bring you through and give you victory, but to bring honor and glory to his name. Do you not know that God has made you to bring honor to his name? And the way that God often gets honor is when you go through, when you go through successfully a very difficult trial. We see at the end of 14 that the Lord says again to Solomon. Solomon says, you need to consider that with the good and the bad, you need to consider that God has made it. I've been preaching not long ago on how we need to enjoy what God gives. Why? Because it's the Lord that gives us the ability to enjoy it. He says it right here. He says, enjoy the prosperity of God. There are sometimes too many people who are who's not enjoying the blessings of God. They sometimes feel they have to live in this kind of, they have to live in this stupor. They have to live in this way, this life to please God, have to be so austere. I can't enjoy life. I can't smile. I have to live this way because it will bring glory to God. And so there are some people who don't even, can't have fun because they think it's a sin. Lord, I'm enjoying myself. Oh, forgive me. No, God made this wonderful world. Enjoy yourself. Solomon says it, but you need to understand it's God who gives you the ability to enjoy it. Then when adversity comes, he said you need to consider both come from God. What is the Lord doing? God is bringing glory to his name even through the adversity. For point two, keeping things in the right perspective. Keeping things in the right perspective. That would be Ecclesiastes 7, 15 through 18. If I have time, I'm going to read another passage in the book of Luke. But, but Solomon 
is not saying that he has experienced everything, even though he says, in my vain life, I have experienced everything. He is saying, actually, I have experienced many things. Not everything. And then he gives two examples. He says, there is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Solomon is saying there's been a a person who seems to obey the will of God. When it speaks of being righteous, it is talking about at this time a person who was following the laws of God as compared to a wicked person who wasn't. And he said, I've seen a strange thing in my life. I've seen the righteous whose life oftentimes may be cut short. And a person who's been doing all types of evil has a long life. That's is that's, that's uh, difficult to understand. He says, I don't have the answer to this. How the righteous sometimes is cut off and a person that is doing wrong may have a long life who's not following the will of God. I have a hard time reconciling what I'm seeing. Why? Because the prevailing thought was at that time that if a person was suffering, they've done something wrong. And if you had been receiving blessings, it's because you had been doing that which was right. That was a prevailing thought. Doing wrong meant that something happened. That's what Job's friends thought. Job, the reason you're having the problems that you are is because you've done wrong. You just need to confess your sins. That's not true in every situation. There are times when that may be true, and and at those times we need to consider, evaluate our lives. But in many cases, that's not always the case. And the Lord in his ministry kind of just blew this up where it was thought that somebody had done wrong. The Lord says, no. Let me take you to a passage in the New Testament when the Bible speaks of even self-righteousness in the next part. I'm going to read a passage in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And I'm going to be done within the next 10 minutes, and we're going to hug Sister Geraldine in, and we'll let you go. In the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses, excuse me, Luke chapter 18, rather, verses 9 through 14. This is what it says. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you be imagine standing in a, in a prayer meeting, the person, oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like the person standing right next to me. And they can hear you like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing afar off, the other person, when it was his time to pray, he said, we would not even, even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Solomon 
saying that we've got to be careful that we're not too self-righteous. Verse 16, be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. This man that was praying in the temple thought that he was better than everybody else. This is what I do, Lord. I do all these things. and I'm not like other people. I give and I give. And, and yet somehow we think that, that God is only looking at our acts. Do you not know you are bankrupt? I tell you this often. Bankrupt means that you don't have enough to cover your expenses. You don't have enough to cover all of your debt to the point where you will never get out of all that debt unless the court says, I declare that, yes, you may file for bankruptcy. It allows some people to start over. It means that you don't have enough. Do you not know you don't have enough goodness to offer to God, to be declared righteous? You can't come and stand in God's presence and say, oh, God, look at me, Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful. I don't think so. God says you are bankrupt. You don't have enough. This Pharisee was bankrupt. What Solomon is saying, he is saying that don't be overly righteous or prideful. Don't be a fanatic. I got quiet, he got quiet, got quiet, got quiet. It didn't say don't have zeal, but being fanatic, way over the top. Then he says, don't be too wicked. The general rule that we need to understand and follow, and I'm going to not be able to finish this today. I'm going to come back and pick up with the last portion. I'm almost done, and then continue on next time. But I'll say this. When we consider the life that people live, the general rule is that if you do what God says, God will bless you to have a long life. It does not mean there are not exceptions to the rule. There are. The general principle is that follow God, do what he says, God will bless you. Don't do what God says. Live a vain life, and your life often can be cut short. Why? Because God's judgment comes into play. You see, sometimes we can have God's judgment come into play when it doesn't have to. And one's life can be cut short. That's what he's speaking about, about the wicked. What does a person need to do? They just need to turn from going this way and go that way. That's what repentance is all about. It just means I'm changing the direction that I'm going. And I'm going to go the other direction. That's why it's not a 360. Keep going right in the same direction. No. I'm going in the opposite direction. Keeping things in the right perspective. In Solomon's vain life, his perplexing life, Solomon had struggled because he sought to understand why things were as they were. Why are things as they are? Wanted to find out about the things of life. What made things tick? Why? Where are we going? Can I get the answers to my life and to these questions by experiencing all these things? So Solomon says, I'm going to test everything to try to find out what's the true meaning of life. Solomon is drawing us down to the point to where he's saying, you need to understand this. If one's life is not intricately tied into Christ, there's no hope. 
everything that we do in life, one day we'll have to give an account for. Unless, unless it's covered by the blood. I don't want the Lord digging up some of that dirt. I want it to be covered under the blood. Those things that now, Lord, that I'm doing for you, I I look forward for that reward where the Lord is going to bless the effort. You see, I'll, I'll say this in conclusion. When you consider how wonderful God is, I don't want you to just think about this. God blesses us, and I, I keep, I don't know why I keep just kind of, kind of just harping on this. In this world that we live in, we have everything that we need. God has put it there. He's blessed us with so much. And then he blesses us to have eternal life with him where our minds can't even comprehend what he has in store for us. Where the apostle Paul says he saw things and experienced things in the third heaven. Too wonderful for words. Too wonderful to be able to comprehend. Not only do we have God in this life, but beyond when we leave this world, God is going to bless us beyond eternity. And let me just say this final thing. Do you not know that while those who know the Lord are saying, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing my loved ones. No, you want to see Jesus. Those loved ones are going to fade in the background for the maybe first thousands of years. There ain't no time. You know, just talking right now. Eternity, eternity. Your focus is going to be, Lord, let me look at Jesus. Oh, we talk about our loved ones, yes. But your desire is going to be to see him. That's your focus. And you get to experience all the loved ones there. Yes, it'll be wonderful. But oh, oh, I want to see him. Look up on his face. That's who you want to see is Jesus.